Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on the latest with respect to infrastructure and what the announced deal framework consists of, along with an update on the U.S.-Mexico border, geopolitical developments, and more. So joining me here for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, as always, great to be back with you and looking forward to diving into some of these topics with you today. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you. Hope you're doing well. Likewise. Thanks, Shane. So I know yesterday, Shane, the big news was a bipartisan group of senators. Uh, They headed up to the White House for further negotiations on infrastructure, highly anticipated, and a deal was reached. It was announced by President Biden. So, Shane, can you take a few moments to walk us through what this deal framework consists of as of today and what the next steps might consist? Stuff. Yeah, so this is a pretty big uh, step forward, uh, having a bipartisan agreement like this, which is um, $579 billion in new spending over five years and about a trillion dollars over eight years. You know, this is just an agreement in principle. Um, uh, lawmakers and staff will get to actually writing the details soon. And then, you know, it, it'll be very interesting to see if this bill can even move forward, um, even though it has this nice uh, bipartisan support. You know, you have uh, both on the left, the progressives and the right, uh, the conservatives who um, don't necessarily agree with this proposal for a variety of reasons. But, you know, for looking at this package, you know, of that uh, um billion. You're looking at significant money for roads and bridges, over $100 billion, um, almost $50 billion for public transit, $66 billion for passenger freight rail, um, $7.5 billion for electric vehicle infrastructure and, you know, building those charging stations. Uh, Airports would get $25 billion, Uh, ports and waterways, $16 billion. Uh, then you're also looking at things like broadband, which will get $65 billion, and water infrastructure, $55 billion. Um, and, you know, uh, some of you may have that Texas um, uh, power grid failure on the top of your mind. The power infrastructure uh, grid would get over $70 billion. So there's, there are many components to this. Um, but I think the key thing for us to do is not to spike the football here and think this is a done deal. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the progressives who want more spending, not only on infrastructure, but social spending, um, are demanding that they see their bill move uh, alongside this um, because they don't want to be in the position of voting for this. And then they never get to the package that they really, truly care about. So this is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, it may actually take until the fall to fully play out. Um, so in the next few weeks, though, we'll kind of see the building blocks of how it's going to play out start to emerge. Yeah, it sounds like a lot needs to happen, but it was a positive to see some bipartisanship at the White House yesterday. So we'll keep a close eye on how this progresses perhaps over the next few weeks and months. But thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed on where we stand with infrastructure as of today. So another topic I do want to follow up on, I know the For the People Act, which we have been tracking over the past few months. We have spoken about this on the podcast quite 
quite a few times prior. It does appear as of this week that the For the People Act has hit a roadblock. So, Shane, what might we see with respect to voting reform going forward? Will congressional Democrats perhaps seek another approach here? Yeah, no, great point. You know, yes, the bill did fail on a partisan line. Um, and what was notable here was uh, a few things. One, Senator Manchin, a uh, Democrat from West Virginia, you know, he was not on board with moving forward. And Democrats were able to get him uh, on on that on their side and support moving forward with this bill, which led to a, you know, a 50-50 tie vote, which doesn't go anywhere because the filibuster demands 60 votes to move forward. Um, you know, Democrats knew all along they weren't going to get 60 votes, but it was key and important that they kept the Democrats uh, unified here. And this is for a variety of reasons. You know, one, they're trying to make a case to Democrats in general that it's time to eliminate the filibuster. So it's easier to argue that case if they're all together on the policy. Uh, additionally, you know, they obviously believe in the policy that's in this bill. But beyond that, there's a lot of politics here. Um, you know, I think Democrats see this as a uh, winning issue for them. So I do expect them to bring it back up for a vote at some point, you know, either as is to try again or maybe some modifications to see to, to demonstrate that they're trying to appeal to Republicans. Uh, but when when we look at kind of uh, the 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 ground game, we see, you know, Republicans winning on certain issues and Democrats probably winning on the voting rights issue. So they want to try and keep it fresh in the minds of, of voters and and try and demonstrate that Republicans are the obstacle on this issue. It does sound like we can expect more in the way of voting reform conversations, potential legislation come down the pike. So something else we'll continue to track very closely. Another item I do want to follow up on, I think we mentioned promise we do so a couple of weeks ago, that being the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, I understand, Shane, that a key border official, a carryover from the Trump administration, was removed from his post this week. So a curious as to who might President Biden appoint as a replacement for that post. And the timing works out very well. I know Vice President Harris is at the U.S.-Mexico border today for her first trip. What might we expect to see from this visit? Yeah, so the the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, uh, he has uh, left his job. He wrote his agents that he'll be resigning. Um, You know, um, in the interim, his deputy will will serve as the interim chief, uh, and his name is Raul Ortiz. Um, I believe back in April, uh, President uh, Biden appointed um, um, a former chief of police uh, named uh, Chris Magnus. Uh, and Chris Magnus was chief of police in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, so he's been nominated to lead the Border Patrol's uh, parent agency. Um, so we'll see some changes fall out in the coming weeks. Um, but you're right to point out that um, Vice President Harris is there today. This this is coming after, you know, she went to Central America on, uh, on a little tour to talk about uh, how to stem the tide of this um, illegal immigration uh, into the southern border. And so now she's following that up with a visit to the border. Republicans uh, have been calling for her to visit uh, the border for weeks now. And, you know, they're, they're to some extent claiming victory. And in fact, 
former President Trump is going to the border next week with some uh, Republicans. So, you know, this is an issue uh, that Republicans think they're winning on. Um, just as I was saying, voting rights is an issue that Democrats think they're voting on. So um, this is a very contentious I- issue and it has been for decades. And the reality is it's likely to remain contentious uh, for some time. Um, you know, I think Vice President Harris, while she's at the border, is going to try and uh, change the tone of the debate a little bit or maybe the direction of the debate. So now she's taking uh, off the table that talking point from Republicans that she hasn't even visited the border when she's trying to solve uh, this uh, problem of this uh, influx of immigration at the southern border. Um It'll be interesting to see if she, who she meets with uh, from the Border Patrol. Is it the hierarchy or is it Border Patrol agents who are there every day? I imagine she'll be focusing on kind of technology that um, uh, protects the border from illegal crossings versus, you know, building a, a wall, you know, the, the uh, physical infrastructure. Um, so, you know, we're going to see Democrats try and focus on the positives here and, and Republicans will continue to say, you know, her visit, while that was nice, did not solve the problem that we need hard action to to really uh, stem the tide of this influx of illegal immigration. So, uh, as I said, I don't think I see this issue going away, especially with Republicans seeing it as a strength for them. They'll continue to talk about it, just as Democrats will continue to talk about voting rights. Okay, well, Shane, thank you for sharing your take. I know a lot of this is still ongoing. The visit is in progress, so perhaps we can follow up and dive a bit deeper into some takeaways, next steps, uh, next week or in a couple weeks' time. But thank you for bringing us up to speed on the latest down at the U.S.-Mexico border. Maybe one final topic we can hit on for this week. This was very interesting. So this is on the geopolitical front. There were reports of an armed confrontation in the Black Sea involving UK and Russian military. So what do we know about this, Shane? And I know since we last spoke, President Biden uh, did have his engagement, his in-person engagement with Russian President Vladimir Putin. I'm curious if you have any thoughts or takeaways from that meeting. Yeah, no, I mean, this was yesterday uh, where Russia warned the UK um, that it would bomb British naval vessels in the Black Sea if there were any further um you know, provocative actions in them, at least provocative in the minds of Russia. You know, this has to do with, you know, Russia annexed Crimea, which gives them the warm uh, water port uh, into the Black Sea, which is something that they don't have anywhere else. And it's very important to their naval activities. Um, so they're very uh, um um, protective and, and about this. And, you know, you have this just uh, dispute over whether they have the right to that or not. Yeah. Other countries like the UK believe that is really Ukraine territory, not Russian territory. So their actions are, are, are very provocative to start with. Um, you know, this is obviously not helpful in, in the larger scheme, but as you were pointing out, while the U, where President Biden just recently met with Russian Prime Minister Putin, you know, um, our counterparts in Europe are still skeptical. You know, France and Germany, uh, plan to restart talks with Russia and, but those plans to re- restart those talks have already failed. Um, the Baltic nations in the EU are very um, skeptical and, and on edge because of their proximity to Russia. Um, 
And so this activity yesterday does not help the situation, obviously. You know, I think when you look at the Biden-Putin meeting from last week, um, you know, it was, um, you know, very little was accomplished. What was accomplished was, you know, um, reconnecting on diplomatic ties. You know, both uh, Russia and the U.S. have recalled ambassadors, and and that's going to go back to diplomatic norms. So that is a small positive. I think, you know, the important thing there was um, kind of setting the tone for the Biden-Putin relationship and, you know, uh, them to at least establish that meeting, you know, show who they are, show their what their demeanor is going to be for the next uh, few years. Um, but I think what you're seeing right now across the spectrum is Russia continuing to play tough you know, not only the U.S., but our European allies um, being very concerned about uh, Russian tactics um, in the region and, and not only in the region, you know, with cybersecurity here in the U.S., you know, beyond the region. So uh, it's going to be continue to be an issue that probably uh, plagues on the, us on the international scene for years to come. It sounds like a very fragile dynamic, and it will be interesting to see how this relationship between President Biden and President Putin might evolve or continue over the next three and a half years or so. But Shane, thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast this week and for bringing us up to speed on a variety of timely and important topics within the Beltway and beyond. Very productive. Thank you for covering all of the ground that you did with us, and we'll look forward to picking the conversation up again next week. Thank you, Dan. It's always good to be with you and have a great weekend. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Now, as a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. Now, for clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the most recent Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.